0: This is Revolting with Stiebel and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 35, Brushes with Greatness.
1: And I always get super stymied because I forget to open the notes, and while you're doing the <laughs> intro, I'm like, like uh, fucking come on! You're not allowed to swear before you do the content <laughs> warning, asshole. Daylight's burning here. Okay, yeah. Uh, Uh, We're obligated to tell you before we start that this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like all the words we use like that last one or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. It's okay. We still love you.
0: But it's episode 35 and you should know by now. You should know by now. We... I mean, I guess this is for newcomers. Welcome to welcome to all first time listeners.
1: (laughs) Uh, Shit's about to happen to you. (laughs) I was I listened to whatever the last episode that was published yesterday. And I was thinking, how many times did I say bad words? They say (gasps) profanity is a sign of of low intelligence, Mm. uh, which I try to keep in mind when I'm on profanity laced tirades. Right. Uh, But I I can't help it. You know, I just I guess
0: I don't buy that for a second. I don't buy that for a second.
1: Low intellect is me.
0: No, I don't buy it. Um, I will say for uh, people who are about to uh, commit this uh, episode to their ears that prior to recording, Steve was on a a profanity waste tirade. (laughs) So (laughs) so his mood right now, if things go sideways it's not me okay i'm a little it's not me
1: i'm a little pinched about a couple of things right now and (laughs) i might (laughs) it might be applied to today's effort so we'll see i'm gonna i'm trying to pick myself and dust myself off and be the best me i can be and also there's a squirrel uh like some squirrels who live in my attic and they've been up there for a while and i hear them they run around like Berserk Berserk squirrels, as squirrels do, uh in the middle of the night. And I think that's kind of funny because I don't have a cat any longer. So I get to have squirrels. I don't get to cuddle with them, but they wake me up in the middle of the night playing and that I don't mind that. But now they're fucking scratching, like nesting. I don't know what's going on up there. But it's well, just it's spring, it's, so guess what they're doing. They're hump is that humping? Is there just hump? Yeah, they're yeah, just definitely humping.
0: I'm a I'm a connoisseur of Ugh. through the ceiling rodent humping sounds, oh, and I can it. tell you unquestionably that
1: that's what you're hearing. I'm I'm not into it. If they're getting some, I should be getting some.
0: They feel like making love, man. I don't know.
1: I'm play some bad company for them. I've been throwing yeah. shit at the ceiling, just like just fucking do it when I'm not here. It's like having neighbor like noisy neighbors who who have loud sex, except that they're small, and it's just this like. It's like it's like <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe's like telltale heart. It's just this little like annoying fucking tick, and it is driving me absolutely insane and if that comes through in the recording, I just told robot that I'm gonna lose my marbles completely and burn my house down <laughs> with the squirrel with the squirrels in it, so so let's uh,
0: let's get to it before to it. shit goes real I'm sideways really,
1: I'm just getting madder, yeah. Uh let's, music let's pick. do yeah do, do music pick. What's your yeah. who, who's your pick this week? Well, interestingly, cuz you sent me what was the what was the link you just sent me like 5 minutes ago. Your
0: I sent my pick is a band called Fight Amp.
1: No, the, uh, what the link you just texted me like right before we started. Oh. Oh.
0: Are you high on drugs right now? on 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 drugs
1: Oh, fight amp. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please continue.
0: <laughs> I did work to on this episode, okay? I did work. I'm ready.
1: <sighs> for fuck's sake. Fight amp. Okay, fight let's talk amp. A, let's talk about them for a second.
0: Fight Amp is a great band or was a great band. I think they might be done like all of the bad bands. Like if I love a band, they're like, well, we're out. Um, Fight Amp is a band from they're from West Berlin, New Jersey, uh, which means that they belong to the kind of Philadelphia. Hardcore post hardcore scene. Think of um, Dead Guy. They would have um, they would have been playing alongside bands like Dead Guy. So this um, is—I
1: mean, this is reasonably contemporary. We're talking what is that? Five years?
0: Yeah, they—they. They, I think they put out their first full-length record in 2008, and their last one in 2016. Their okay. last full-length record is called "Constantly Off." It's available on Bandcamp. Uh, if you, if you it, like amphetamine reptile bands. You will like Fight Amp. Okay. I think so they fight. were originally called Fight Amputation. I don't know why. And then they just shortened it to Fight Amp.
1: Uh, sometimes fewer syllables are yeah, better. Usually. usually. Uh, interestingly, um, the band that I've been listening to is somewhat similar. And I don't know where they're from. Pacific Northwest, I think. Uh, and they are called Baptists. And mm. I have been... Not listening to an album, but they did a they did a, a recording session at Rain Tree Recordings in Vancouver. Um, I don't know three years ago, and I've been listening to that because it's it's so good, and you get the added benefit of seeing them and the crowd that they're playing for in this. I think uh, Brutus did a session at Rain Tree as well that you and oh, I, yeah, 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 that I share with one another. Yeah, they do really yeah, yeah. cool stuff there. Um, but they, it's a similar vein, really brutal. Uh, you know, the kind of band I wish I could be in. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, very similar, uh, in sound and tonality. Um, but I've also, because it's the greatest record that has come out in two years, been just listening to the, plos- the new single, uh, First Explosives album, yeah, on fucking repeat, yeah, everywhere. Got it on my iPod. I ride around with it in my pocket. I yeah. listen to it at home on my computer, on my stereo. Like it's always playing somewhere near me. So yeah, I have, have the problem when
0: I'm if I'm doing something during the day, it's playing <laughs> in my head. Like it's not actually right. playing, but it's so good that it's imprinted itself, and I just like. It, it stuck. It stuck in between my ears. But I listened to that fight amp record uh, while walking the dog this morning because I wanted to uh, recommend a record that or a, a band that we hadn't certainly hadn't talked about. I probably did talk about it ten episodes ago. But anyway, I wanted to like confirm: is this as great as I think it is? Because I hadn't listened to it for a while. It is as great as I think it is.
1: <laughs> okay. So there we go. Uh, fight amp yeah. Baptists uh, and the explosives and do it. All right. Brushes with it. great and do it. Brushes with greatness <laughs> yeah. is what the 35th episode is about. And, yeah. um, I suppose this, uh, applies to specifically to cycling because this is a cycling related.
0: This is definitely a cycling podcast. podcast. Yeah. Okay. Anyone who listens regularly will know that because of all the cycling content.
1: Cause I was thinking I got on a, uh, Southwest airlines flight in Denver uh, three or four years ago and James Hetfield was on the, on the flight and I walked by him because he was, you know, he was in the A category because he's a millionaire flying coach. Right. And I walked by and I just kind of nudged him on the shoulder and gave him the kind of like, like, <laughs> wink, like, thanks. I, I think I said, thanks, man. And I hope he knows that I meant thanks for the first four albums and literally nothing else. <laughs> That's what I was implying with that. Thanks. Uh, except for Garage Days, or so Garage first Inc. four I records mean. plus the covers album, the covers okay. double album. Yeah, so that was a a bit of a brush with greatness, I guess. But did he react in any way to you? Oh, he just you know we gave each other like that international, internationally recognized male nod, like hey, right. So you know sup. Like,
0: uh, the sub nod, yeah.
1: Hey, and he said hey, and then I went back and I sat down. Back with the plebs.
0: I think what that nod
1: says is, "Hey, I'm <laughs> cool. Are you cool? We're cool, right?" He said, "You're welcome for the first four albums, and I know everything else has been fucking <laughs> terrible, except for the covers album." Did his That's nod say?
0: Was there at all like a, I get paid too much to make good music anymore?" <laughs> was he like,
1: <laughs> uh, "Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of information exchanged with the with that one little <laughs> shoulder." nudge and, right. uh, and and following head nods. Right. Uh so but in cycling, I mean, yeah, man. I mean, I've I've met a ton of people. I know a ton of people. Not to be braggadocious, but like <sighs> I know Bob Roll. I have his phone number and address. You know, like I oh. when I first met him, I was a little like, whoa, that's the dude. It was at the Conyers race that where the Olympics happened. And he crossed the mountain. He it was a mountain bike nationals He crossed the finish line and rolled up to this little embankment next to the finish line, sat down and lit a cigarette. And I was like, he <gasps> actually fucking does that. Like that is dope. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in the years that followed, like we became friendly acquaintances with one another, one another. And I'd send him postcards and we'd see each other in San Francisco because he had a house there and we'd like fucking slap hands and, you know, so I mean, he's huge. he's huge. He's huge. He's legendary. And I happen to be. He's with legendary, him. Guess, but also physically large. Um, Parkin, Joe Parkin, you know, like sure. He's yeah. he's leg- Author, author,
0: author, for, and cycling personality, Joe Parkin. Yep,
1: yeah, retired professional road and mountain bike racer. Julie Fritado is a dear friend. Oh. I was just texting Julie her Furtado. yesterday. It was her birthday yesterday, yeah. and so we were texting with each other. This is
0: getting braggadocious now. I didn't realize when I wrote the notes for this episode that you were um, as plugged in as you are. I should know this. but
1: Yeah, I mean, I got I got friends. I knew I knew uh, Gina Hall before she started racing bikes at all. And then she went on to be on the national cyclocross team. Meredith Miller and I are friends like, yeah, I mean, but it's like I've been doing this shit. In the Bay Area, too, which is always it's kind of a nucleus of cycling shit. Historically, you know, Gary Fisher and I like we're we know one another. Uh, Tom Ritchie ignores me uh, regularly. Uh, (laughs) Scott Nickel and I are friends. He gave me some Budweiser slippers at a lecture he was doing at Mission Workshop a bunch of years ago, brought me up on stage. And I I mean, but like there's tons of brushes with greatness, but that's just comes from being there.
0: Yeah, I'm never there. Uh, Turns out being an introvert who lives in New England uh, doesn't (laughs) put you. you. I do have one. I do have one. I mean, I've met, you know, I've met a bunch of people, even some of the people that you just mentioned, but I'm not friends with any of them. I just gave them the nod. I was like, you know, like Bob Roll. I've definitely been in the room and I gave him the nod that was like, hey, man, you know, the first four Metallica records are good, (laughs) but. And he was like, I know, I know. Um, I this is a bizarre story. When I was working at seven. um, My neighbor. This is so weird. He he texts me one day. He's like, hey, um, do you think. We were riding regularly, like we had a regular sort of small for group of friends riding together. And he's like, do you think you could scare up uh, an extra road bike like 53 centimeters, 53, 54 um, for s- someone special uh, to ride with us? And I was like, uh, OK, um, you know, because I worked at a bike company. They were that's I would always get asked for that kind of stuff. Turns out my neighbor works with a guy named Bjorn, i think it's bjorn no bjorn Kuiper and bjorn Kuiper is the son of Henny Kuiper uh who was world champion in i think nineteen seventy two or nineteen seventy four he won perry roubaix um he's like if you look at his like the races he's won, he's probably in the top five cyclists ever. I mean, in terms of pro, I shouldn't say that in terms of pro men on the road. OK, <laughs> he's one of the top. Like, <clears throat> so, you know, you would be like, oh, Eddie Merckx, uh, Jacques Ancatil, uh, some other guys, Henny Kuiper. He would be in that in that mix. Um, so I was like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. So we I show up for the ride with this bike. And I actually have a bike from seven and I give him one of my road bikes as a loner. And, um, he, I think when we rode with him, he was 62 or 63 and over only like 35 miles, he ripped our legs off of our bodies, (laughs) like casually, like, like, Um, you know, it looked like he was soft pedaling and he was chit chatting while I was like bleeding out of my eyes just to try to maintain. And I'm no great shakes on the bike, so that's not saying, but I just was like, even looking at this guy, you could tell he was other, you know, like even at 62 or 63, he had like a barrel chest and like these quads that were, that just were like, I can make power
1: But the wildest thing that there's a, there's a physicality that one develops as a, I mean, at any level you are going to have achieved a, a a greater fitness, see if I can put this concisely, you, you've achieved a greater fitness than, you know, somebody who's never ridden a bike. And so that level increases and increases and increases. And it it reminds me of a story I heard about somebody like Lamont showed up to a group ride, just fully off the couch. And destroyed everybody like you, you, your resting ability is so much greater than a a normal person. And, 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 you know, conversely, like we could do the same thing to somebody who just started, maybe learned how to ride a bike. Sure.
0: Sure. I've had, I've definitely had that experience, but, um, but this, yeah, he was just something else. And I will say also, super nice guy, very open. Like, um, I don't know what year this was, maybe like 2012. And he would just talk all the time about race. Like I figured leave him alone. Don't talk to him about his career. Uh, and he was just more than happy to say, Oh, at Perry Roubaix, this happened. And I looked over my shoulder and I saw that, you know, so-and-so couldn't go again. So I went, like he was very happy to tell his stories and it was, yeah, it was a great day. It was a really great day. Totally shocking out of the blue. And I would say he's the biggest name I met in the cycling industry. And him and Steve <laughs> is the other apparent I just found out is
1: like. Well, all right. Uh, and that wraps up episode 35. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, here's yeah. one that this was a this was a big one for me. I had, I had uh, several parties I had in Las Vegas around for sort of uh, associated with the bike tr- trade show that used to happen. And this one uh, was at a bar called the backstage and I had a band and we were like filtering in and hanging out and drinking. And Steve Crandall, who, if you don't know, was the impresario of FBM bikes and is, I mean, he's a legend in his own right. And he is, uh, has long been, we've been friends with one another for a long time. And he's like, hey, come here. And he takes me through this labyrinth of back hallways. And they were doing the uh what the fuck is it? The the BMX Awards, like the, the uh annual BMX awards. Nora Awards, I think, maybe. I uh-huh. can't remember. Uh-huh. So we go into this little like staging area. First, we go down and we peek out, and the crowd is ten times the size of the crowd that I had at my party. And it was just all these dirtbag kids.
0: Even though you had booked Metallica, but go
1: on. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just, I'm just, it's crazy because Steve's emceeing this thing. So like, he's not nervous. He's, you know, I don't, he looks like a, like Milo, like a, like Milo Ackerman, kind of like a thick Milo Ackerman. And he's got these glasses, like you, like Clark Kent glasses. And he's very, uh, amiable. And he's just yeah. like, ah, look at what I got to face in a minute
0: with buzzy energy, right? That's what I get when you say Milo Ackerman. He's got sort of a buzzy wow, energy. He just kind of
1: looks. He just kind of looks. You know, it looks like it, like he'd be a librarian in another life or something. He's just you know, it's like right, okay. smart, but like has this insane history in the bike world. And so we go into this little back room, and uh, Tim Hall and Dave Mira are sitting there, and I'm just and Steve oh, yeah. introduces me to them, and of course Tim Hall is. Like he's fucking all time. And Dave Mira, I mean, what there's right. you can't there's no words that can describe like the influence and the impact that this cat's had. And it was maybe not long before he killed himself. So it was just like, mm. you know, so intense and really bittersweet to walk away from that exchange, you know, in put with that in hindsight. Like, what yeah. a crazy it's just it's it's really I don't know what the, it's weird for me to, when you see people that you are so familiar with, it's like, it's like looking at somebody through a one way mirror because you know everything about them and they are seeing you for the first time in their lives. Oh, Hey, it's story time with Steve. When I was eight or nine years old, my mom and dad bought me my first BMX bike. It was a JC free spirit. And in time, I went on to put some nice accessories and components on it, like a toughneck stem and CW bars, which just made it sort of the embodiment of putting a nice frame on a shitty painting. One day I was hanging out at the local bike shop, which during the winter was a ski shop. It was a little tiny place run by this guy named Andy. And one day he gave me a 10-inch long die cut shimano sticker it was blue i didn't really know what shimano was or anything about it but i put it on my top tube and immediately made the bike 150 percent cooler it was around that time that i probably became a lifelong shimano guy
0: well you and i have had this conversation because you maintain the And this is probably why I've had so few brushes with greatness. You maintain the attitude that if you admire someone, you should seek them out and meet them. And I don't do that because I don't like that um, asymmetric relationship where, like, I know everything you've done in your career and I admire you deeply and you just forgot that my name is John.
1: Yeah. I mean, to a degree, I don't, I don't, it's not like I'm a, it's not like I'm a star fucker or anything and I don't have an autograph book. It's just like what I've heard all all this, all the, all the big (laughs) names in cycling who I've met, I've met through very casual and common uh, relationships. I I worked with Julie Furtado, for example, like it was, it was almost impossible for us not to spend time together. And then subsequently we realized that we, Liked each other enough to become friends. She invited me on a trip with her to like Turkey about a year this ago. This is getting,
0: this is getting steamy. Well, now, she was this just story.
1: like, she was like, well, my kid is with his, with his other mom for whatever. And I've got time off and I will, and I need to shake my reality up. Cause she's such, she's yeah, such yeah, a yeah. fucking psycho. Like she's so crazy. Yeah. She's like, I I've traveled all over the world. I've seen all, you know, but like now I need something that is completely unlike anything I've ever done. Would you be interested in going with me only because I have nothing to do. Like my life has completely fallen apart too. And she knows why not, you know, why not go to Turkey together? But I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love
0: a long, I love, I love a long Stevel setup set up for, and I didn't
1: go. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, I couldn't find anyone to watch my cat. I was, I was super starstruck when I met Lance mountain. Um, Uh, you know, because like that was the second time in my entire life I'd been in close proximity to him. And once I was in ninth grade and then once I was a 49 year old grown up and that was really exciting. And I didn't know, you know, I, like I was a little bit stymied and I tend to not be because everybody generally puts their pants on the same way so you hmm. know it was just i said hello and i probably nudged his shoulder and gave him that thanks for everything you do nod right Thought the thing when you were eating the banana and the first bones brigade video show was pretty cool liked how you ate your banana yeah. i don't <laughs> fucking i don't fucking know
0: yeah it's hard it's hard Um,
1: but I don't seek them out to, to your point. Like I don't see, it just, it just happens that I, I have been blessed to be surrounded by really incredible, uh, kind of legendary figures and some in skateboarding, but primarily in cycling, you know, Pineapple Bob and I are homies. And he taught Gene Oberpriller how to race cyclocross. Like he is the OGist Motherfucker in cross that nobody's ever heard of, unless you were paying attention in the eighties. Yeah. So, I don't know.
0: I I think you just uh, you just walk famous
1: ground is what I'm getting. Is you just I do, but it's not. It's but just kind of by accident. You know, yeah. like it's just being in the right place, at the right time, and being friends with people who who know people. I guess in in that yeah. regard. But I don't know. You know, like Marion Voss. I I've never. I've seen her race bikes. I don't know her. I don't know Europeans. I don't know like the biggest yeah. names in cycling, nor have I ever really met any of them. But like in my little microcosm, the people yeah. that I am lucky enough to call friends also happen to be pretty notable. So that's, that's that. So we noted them. Uh, how about like, like outside of cycling? Like, and those are the, those are the ones like that I'm constantly like a little bit gobsmacked by because it, you see them on TV or you see them in movies or you see them in two dimensions in magazines and they're small. And then you're like, holy shit, man, you got three dimensions. Like, that's the thing that always blows me away. It's like, there is a shape to your head or your figure, you know, you, you're right. You're a three
0: dimensional being. Yeah. We, we had this experience. It was so, it was really funny. Um, Last time we I we went to uh, Wales me and the wife and kids we went to Wales and we flew into Manchester United Kingdom and we get into the airport and we go we've just come out of customs and we're like walking towards baggage claim and this door opens this is going to mean nothing to you but bear with me this door opens and a guy suddenly walks out into the hall like almost at the same time like he sort of intersects with us and then he just drops slightly behind us because otherwise we're all walking together and that's weird and my kid my youngest kid who was probably 11 at the time looks over his shoulder and then he i don't really notice this guy he looks over his shoulder and then he looks at me and he smacks me so My family, uh, my dad's uh, was Welsh. Uh, We're into the European football, Mm -hmm. the English, the English football, particularly. And this person who's just walked out front behind us is Wayne Rooney. And Wayne Rooney is like the all time leading scorer for the English national team. He played for Manchester United for a bunch of years. He's he's a huge, huge star. uh, There's just a documentary came out about him like six weeks ago. But yeah, so he walks, he walks in behind us and my 11 year old looks at me, smacks me and he looks back and then he looks back at me and he goes, is that Wayne fucking Rooney? <laughs> this is my 11 year you old. Know, is that Wayne fucking Rooney? <laughs> and I look over my shoulder and I go, yep, that's Wayne fucking Rooney right there, bud. Uh And it was this like for my kids who were both, you know, Manchester United fans, uh they were like. It was like Casper, the ghost just floated out or I don't know. That's a shitty uh, it's like Batman just arrived on the scene.
1: I think you, you, you get to a point in a normal day to day existence where you are you are accustomed or you're used to whatever is going to occur or whoever you're going yeah. to see. And so when someone like that pops into your field of vision, it's a little it's it's so unexpected That you kind of, it kind of puts you on your heels a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, it was definitely like, you know, the air in the room got weird. Yeah. And, and again, I have a, I have a, I don't have, my reaction is like, leave that person alone. All they want is to like, get their bags and go the fuck home. They just got off a, a, like a transatlantic flight. Don't fuck with them. Whereas I think. The general thing is like, oh my God, it's a hero. Talk to it.
1: Certainly that, yeah. Well, that, that would be the, I don't have, I don't have any appeal or I don't have any desire to, to hassle mega famous people, you know,
0: like the, fa- it has to be organic. Right? right.
1: Right. And, and I don't, and even I don't like, I don't even hassle people, you know, that I, I don't. I don't know. Like I said, like I wouldn't chase somebody down simply because yeah. they were famous, but if they were impactful or influential to me, to whatever degree, like um, not even to whatever degree, if it was a a real influence, then, then right. I, then I might consider it, you know, artistic or, or what have you. I met, okay, here's a good one. So Gino, who owns one-on-one bicycle studios in, uh, Minneapolis, like that guy knows fucking everybody. It it's, yeah, I mean, it, well, I should say everybody knows Gene Oberpriller because he's just, he's just, he's just this magnetic and charismatic and incredibly kind and, and also skilled guy and has been in the trenches in some degree or another forever. So, uh, shellac, the first time I'd ever seen shellac play, no, that's not true. One of the first times I was in Minneapolis and they were playing on this riverboat that floated down the Mississippi and went through the channel and then floated back up and docked. And then we all got off and I had just come to town, uh, uh, Hurl Everstone. And I actually saw them play at a cafe the night before, but I didn't have a ticket for the riverboat show. And so I was just kind of sitting on a bench, like thinking maybe I could get on or something would, would transpire that I could get on and see the show. And Gene was going to try to get a ticket for me or whatever. And Todd trainer, who's the drummer walked out and said, Hey, I heard you need a ticket. And I was like, well, fuck, that's amazing. Um, and it, some other guy ended up giving me a ticket. But so Todd and I started talking and then I get on the boat and I'm hanging out with Gene and Todd and Bob Weston and Steve Albini. And that was the first time I'd met those guys. Uh, and then Todd and I ended up becoming friends. And when I see Steve and Bob, you know, if I'm ever, because I like Todd will bring me backstage and I'll say hi to people uh, and slap hands and whatever and see how lives are going. And it's a, usually a short exchange. But the fact that I am now, I've now become to whatever minimal degree acquainted with three of the most influential musicians in my existence, you know, in all of their individual and, 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 uh, uh, what's the other term individual projects, as well as this sort of conjoined one of shellac of North America, you know, it always like the first time was fucking crazy. And then, and then immediately it, that dissipated and, and, and then we just kind of like went on with our lives.
0: Then you're just dudes who like cats.
1: Right. And oh, and my cousin has done some recording at, at Albini's studio and he he met them at a sh- backstage at a show in Spain and they were talking. and He's like, oh, I think, you know, my cousin It's Steve in Oakland. And they were like, oh, fuck, you're his cousin. And then it like, you know, it's just a, it's just yeah. such a small world.
0: Well, I do think it's true that, you know, the longer you remain sort of uh, a I'll I'll, I'll give it a very generic term, a loud music aficionado. Mm -hmm. The longer you kind of stay in that small bubble, the smaller the bubble gets.
1: I think the same is true with cycling. And I think the same is true with skateboarding. You know, some of the people who I have become friends with in the last five or 10 years were people who I just like, these are people I had pictures of on my wall as a kid, you know, and And I had a conversation with Mickey Vukovic, who is a photographer for Transworld. And he's he's now like way down the cycling rabbit hole. So when Mickey Vukovic actually is a contributor for Cycling Independent. also Yeah, he's he's such a good dude. Um, And when when I, I get all starry eyed, when he starts talking about his friends who are skateboarders and he gets all starry eyed when I start talking about my friends who are cyclists. And we're constantly like, oh, yeah, I don't know that he's well, that person is okay, uh, but this guy is kind of a blowhard. This lady is super, super nice and and so on and so forth. And then meanwhile, he's like, oh yeah, this, this guy's crazy. And this woman is totally incredible. And you, you know, we have, we've got all these like funny little uh, quips or anecdotal stories that we share with each other. But I talked to him at one point when we first met at a gravel race and Bakersfield a bunch of years ago. And also I should mention that term gravel also bugs the shit out of me. Yep. So I said, I kind of feel like everybody is just tolerant of me now at this point because they're just happy. There are, we're all still alive. You know, it would have been, mm. there would have been an imbalance meeting those people when I was 15 years old and they were whatever, 18 years old because that one way mirror, that imbalance was yes. so profound and what would I have had to talk with them about besides skateboarding? But now at this point, you know, people are fathers. People have dealt with family members with terminal illness. Like we, we become more human and less viewer and spectacle.
0: Yeah, no, I buy that. I think life has a way of, uh, taking people with who might have a little bit of star ego and like, actually reconverting them to regular humans because everybody goes through shit.
1: Yeah. Everybody goes through shit. I just watched the lady Gaga documentary the other day and the scenes in which she is being absolutely mobbed while whatever contending with the, the breakup of her relationship or physical pain or whatever just like there is no, I would take, I wouldn't want fame no. for all the tea in China. Like I'm just not built for it. But I just, I don't know. It just, it, it, it was so glaringly obvious to me that chasing after people just for the sake of them being famous or standing around ogling like there's some sort of spectacle and they're just trying to get a fucking sandwich. It's right.
0: just everybody just wants a fucking sandwich.
1: Just just let me have a fucking sandwich. You can never be in a bad mood. You know, you can never tell people you can never be like in the throes of grief and walk down the street and you have to be fucking happy. You have to be nice to people like that just seems so unfair. Yeah, I'm not interested. Uh, So did we cover that? Well
0: yeah, I think you sort of uh got <clears throat> to the second question, which was wh- uh, which of the famous or impressive people you've met has had the biggest influence on you? Lance Mountain is probably mm-hmm. Lance Mountain well, he, Todd King. He's trainer. a big
1: one. Yeah, and the guys in the guys in Shellac, uh uh an artist named Michael McMillan. Um I didn't get to meet him, like we didn't shake hands, but I saw him lecture and that was um that was real important to me, or he has been real important to me. And, uh, uh, the guy from, um, Mark, Mark Pauline from survival research laboratories. Uh, I got to see a, a lecture with him, um, when I was in college and he was, he's also been super influential. So, and to, to hear him talk and to see him and to, again, to see him in like three dimensions and see his humanity and his humility. Or both of these guys was really, was really cool, you know, um, because visual, their, their art is, is the sun rises and sets on it. But then to have a human connection with them was especially exciting. And they say sometimes, you know, you don't meet your heroes cause you might make a connection with somebody or get to finally have an interaction with somebody and they are like super shitty. And then, <laughs> and then that's disappointing. But I've been well,
0: that's was that's been my approach. Uh, one of my oldest friends in the world, uh, we've talked about this before, is the uh, sound guy and tour manager for Bob Mould of Husker du and Sugar and Bob Mould fame. And every time uh, Bob comes to town to play a show, Che puts me on the list. And not every time, but, you know, when it's when it is just kind of might happen accidentally he's like hey do you want to meet bob and i'm like nope (laughs) no that's all right i'll just stand here you know you should i know that i should i'm sure bob is a very nice guy he has been through some shit uh he seems like a real regular person yeah
1: but he is he 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 is um i've i've only been on his periphery but my my cousin toured with him for like a i don't know a year or a full not a year (laughs) but a full tour uh two years ago Mm -hmm. and he sent me a text message at one point and he's like it's just so wild because while i'm playing the same stage as this guy i'm reflecting on being you know a 15 year old hanging out my bedroom with you listening to hoosker do and flipper and butthole surfers records and drinking root beer floats and watching the monkeys on MTV with the yeah. sound turned down and skateboarding. Right. And now it's like, it's the whole that's come full circle. And I, I'm doing this and it's just as constantly fucking amazing to me. And I will mention that my cousin, just to give him a little plug, uh, his name is Will Johnson and he's, uh, he's a wildly talented singer songwriter from Texas. And uh, I'm very proud of him. I love listening to his music. So maybe people. Would well, like we that should as say well.
0: also that we should also. I should say also that my buddy Che, who is Bob's frequent tour manager, uh, is a great musician. In fact, I sent you one of his records last you week. You
1: turned me on to them to begin with. I remember we had a conversation yeah. about this. I thought I had discovered them on my own, and it turns out they were just <laughs> another fucking recommendation from you. Yeah, I was so there's, was excited to get that. Thank the, you.
0: Sure, you're welcome. Che has a band now called Pink Avalanche, uh, out of Chicago, uh, that are very good. Che does the che is the uh, or one of the in house uh, sound guys at the Empty Bottle in Chicago. Okay, which is crazy. We sat to get next together in third grade. Uh, it's just a strange, strange thing.
1: Um, all right. What was the What was just to plug the record you sent me? His old band.
0: Oh, his old band
1: was the Che Arthur Three. Yes,
0: and. That record is so goddamn good. I love that record. And I've said to Che, like, well, you pink avalanche needs to play Che Arthur three songs. <laughs> and he's like, nah, were
1: nah there four, that would be were weird." there four people in Che Arthur three.
0: No, I, I don't think so. In fact, I think originally, I think maybe on that record, uh, there's just Che. I think Che plays the drums, bass and guitars oh. on that record. And then later formed the band. My God. Okay. I think that's what happened. That's cool. Uh, I apologize. If other humans actually played on that record, I apologize to them, but I believe Che played everything.
1: Got it. Yeah, it's really good. I love, I like, I love that record and I only had it digitally, so I'm excited to have a physical copy that I can uh, listen to the the warm, soothing sounds of the vinyls. Yes. Um, Okay. And then, did we? Who's had an influence on you? Did we, I? Just feel like every time I start talking, I can't stop.
0: <laughs> I mean, that I've met. I don't know. Uh, I, I'll I'll say this: that in the bike world, I don't know if he's famous anymore. But I worked at Seven for most of a decade, and uh, Rob Vandermark, who uh, started Seven and runs Seven, who was the first employee, full time employee at Merlin Metalworks. Way back, and uh, along with Tom Kellogg, designed all of the Merlin bikes. Um, Nobody has taught me more about bikes and how bikes work than Rob. And, you know, we're friends. Um, But in terms of, like, taking me from a person who was really into bikes and turning me into a person who... Despite, like, not really, like, I don't think of myself as an expert in geometry and all of these different, you know, materials and all these things, but actually I've written, you know, via what Rob taught me about bike design, material science, etc., I've written, you know, probably almost half a million words about bike design and material science, and all of the things and like we don't talk about that stuff on this podcast a lot you know we because it's
1: fucking mm, boring (laughs) uh
0: yeah i buy that like
1: i don't think anyone
0: needs to like (laughs) sit around and listen to me talking about it but no i mean i i I totally get it um i totally get it but uh, the education i received while i was there was like wow. Like I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that was, that. he's probably in within cycling, the most influential person. I'm
1: sorry. You just, bore, you just said the most sincere and sweet thing about this <laughs> guy and all he taught you. And my response is that everything he taught you is boring.
0: <laughs> I mean, no, I'm but I mean, worst. that's true. Like if you were to say, Oh, this guy taught me everything about brush technique, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh yeah. Brushes. Yeah. Tell me more about brushes as so I get it. OK,
1: sorry. That was I get it. That was some cold shit. That was a little throwback from my earlier <laughs> rant about everything. So uh, the question, the third question is, uh, would you rather? And at the right before we started r- recording, robot said that he. Was going to change it up because he wasn't really feeling this one. So yeah, I
0: don't think this one is good. This one is a the one that i the one that's here in your notes is a classic uh, moral choice. It's a play on the moral choice of uh I think the scenario is um, you're standing on a train platform and um the train is hurtling into the station and uh there's a a, a person standing on the tracks. And you have the switch to stop the train. The catch being you can either throw the switch and save the person that's on the tracks. But if you do that, uh, you know, like 10 people are, you know, or like 100 people are going to get injured. And so you you have to, like, decide if this person whatever. So it, I, I'm I'm ranting in a direction that makes no that sense
1: instance, I'd Pull the I pull the lever.
0: Yeah, you would pull yeah. the lever. Yeah. But it's very hard to be I think the tr- the the catch of the moral conundrum is that it's you basically killing the person in order to
1: save other people. Yeah. Well, injury injury is nothing. If there's like going to be some sprained ankles and some broken wrists and maybe somebody will get an eardrum punctured or something like that. I mean, a train coming yeah. to an abrupt stop, it's just going to be suitcases falling on people and people like landing on other people. So, yeah. And I've, I have pulled two people out of in front of trains because there was no fucking way I was going to watch somebody get squashed. Like I couldn't handle that. Was this suicide prevention? They were both a a couple of dudes and it was weird because they were really similar situations. But I was in uh, the Bay Area rapid transit station in San Francisco. There's a bunch of them. It's the BART train. And somebody was like, you know, having a fucking thing. They were, a little unwound and running around and not really making any sense, and jumped in the tracks as trains were coming. And everyone in both instances completely fucking flipped and were yelling and screaming and carrying on. And I walked over to the edge and very calmly looked at the person. Same situation, exact. It was like scripted. And I said, and I just said, Give me your hand. And the guy stopped, looked at me, gave me his hand and I pulled him up onto the station and I held on to him or onto the platform and I held on to him until the train stopped. And then I let him go and it's happened fucking twice. And everybody's like, bro, don't jump and be screaming. And it's just, I mean, people don't, I don't know. It made, right. that made sense to me panicking didn't make sense to me and it's so yeah i don't know i couldn't i would have fucking i don't think i would have ever slept again if i'd seen this guy get hit by a train
0: yeah 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 yeah. i'm laughing but but that's i can absolutely i would never i have the i don't i tend not to panic also i don't ever understand when people begin to panic about a thing and this is part of like the whole robot thing people are like you're dead inside i'm like (laughs) i'm not like when shit goes. Sideways, that's when you focus, not when you freak. Yeah. I, I'll freak later. I, like if I see that dude die, I'm gonna
1: freak out yeah. later for sure. But I panic with my stuff. I get I get um, like I might get like the exploded view of what's gonna become of my life and what's gonna become of me and I'm gonna be homeless and this and that and the other thing. It's just like and then I panic. But like when it comes to something like that, I think I got a pretty even gauge. So okay, mm. so that's basically what we where we were going with this.
0: That's where we were going to go, but I don't know. It didn't excite me as much as asking you. Would you rather eat a Kraft cheese single off the floor of the train station <laughs> or drink a quart of warm hot dog water?
1: I'd take the hot dog water.
0: I, You know, uh, so this isn't the first time I've posed this one to you, but you just go for the hot dog water so quickly every time. And I'm trying to, like, reformulate the balance <laughs> of the thing. <laughs> Like, would it have to, how many, how many craft cheese slices would have to be on the floor of the train station, uh, the bus station bathroom before that was
1: like, that was... There has to be, I think if you said a quart of, of warm hot dog water, because it's just like salty water. It's probably going to be super rehydrating. Even if it's a little, <laughs> you know, like a day old, it's probably still going to be okay. Like a bus station bathroom floor, you've got all manner of bacteria like that is for sure going to make you sick. Now, if you said a uh, quarter of yeah. warm hot dog water full of like random pubic hair, then that <laughs> kind of t- t- tips the balance. But it's okay. probably still yeah. <laughs> probably still go for, <laughs> I'd go for the pube water. I think what would really stymie me is if it was like. Warm hot dog water pubic hair and, and then a bird shit in it right before you started drinking it.
0: All right. This is good because I'm, what I'm finding about these would you rather's is that it's not just dreaming up silly shit. There's like real balance and you have to consider like the moral aspects, <laughs> the epidemiological yeah. Yeah, the aspects. The like associated
1: you, with eating a slice of cheese off a <laughs> <the> bathroom floor. <laughs>
0: And that one came to me because I was eating cheese, not craft cheese, but I was eating cheese in my kitchen the other day and a big slice fell on the floor and my wife looked at me and I reached down and I picked it up and I ate it. She was like, that's probably covered in dog hair. And I was like, "Mm, whatever.
1: Right before, right before we sat down to start recording, I was like, I woke up and I made a pot of coffee and uh, pulled my laptop out and I was just kind of going through a few little things and check to see what I missed while I was asleep. And I made toast with hummus on it. And I put, I had some kale salad that I made a few days oh. ago. And this is uh kale and p- pickled red onions that you pickle in apple cider vinegar and uh, toasted uh, almond slivers Look and you. salt and pepper, uh, olive oil, lemon, and, uh, amino acids. It's very delicious. I, I really love mm. this salad. And I had a little bit left. So I put it on the toast <clears> As I, and I'm eating it and I'm drinking coffee and I'm doing my thing. And then I, I looked at the clock. It's time for me to sit down with you. And I glanced down and there's this huge kale leaf, like not huge, but you know, pretty big
0: silver dollar size, Yeah.
1: In my bed. And there's this huge olive oil stain, like right next to right where I sleep. And so, I, you know, (laughs) grabbed it and I ate it because bed bed salad is delicious.
0: Sure. Everyone wants likes a bed salad. I
1: I was like, okay, I got it. I just did laundry. I just washed all my bedding and cleaned my house and stuff yesterday. And I was like, I got to fucking pull the slip sheet off and wash it now because I can't justify I can't sleep in olive oil, realistically go to bed with salad oil. Like I've fallen super fucking far in the last year, but I'm not to the point where I'm willingly going to go to bed with as salad dressing on my sheet wow yeah, so I'm,
0: i don't know that i don't know i feel like olive oil is pretty benign i would probably if i had just changed sheets i'd be like well i'll get to that
1: if it was like ranch dressing yeah. or something i would but I, you know like something oh ranch dressing is it's worse gonna, it, it's dairy yeah it, it would it would just it would fuck with me it's gonna it would fuck with me so Uh-oh. i, I stripped the bed and i'm washing my sheets again although i have this like mattress cover and that <laughs> when you pull the the what is what is the, the fitted sheet off, uh, right. there's like coffee and blood, and now there's salad dressing. There's all kinds of shit on the fitted sheet. I've yeah. destroyed that thing.
0: Out of sight, out of mind. Yes. No, you and I talked yesterday on the phone uh, for actually a long time because every time I get on the
1: phone with you we just talk for a long time like we do now but we're not looking at each other just like
0: we do now but I was telling you that yesterday was it yesterday morning or the day before I went into the bathroom and there was blood on the wall (laughs)
1: like
0: on my side of the bathroom not on my wife's I was like huh that's weird how did I get blood on the wall so I said to my wife I was like this was this was after we talked. I was like, I, I don't know. I found all this blood on the wall this morning in the bathroom. It wasn't that much blood. I found some blood on the wall in the bathroom. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, you're always bleeding from somewhere. And she looks at me and she goes, like, right now, your ear <laughs> <Yeah>. is bleeding.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I was like, why is my ear? That bleeding? tracks,
1: man. Maybe another reason yeah. why we're friends is we're just we're bleeders. Bleeding all the I time. I bleed yeah. more. More often than not, I have blood on the outside of my body. As much blood on the outside yeah. of my body is maybe remains. And so, no, that's not that's not true. I bleed a lot as well.
0: I bleed so much that now when I find blood, which is normally like I find a scab or like some dried blood down my leg or something like I don't. There was a time when I was like, that's weird. I don't remember. I don't how ha- what what made me bleed. Now I'm just like, I don't even wonder yeah. like, yeah, you get, it's not even remarkable you get used to it.
1: So what, what is the, what, what is the, would you rather did we? Oh, the cheese? No. Yeah. Hot dog. So what would you, what's your pick?
0: The hot dog water or the cheese? I don't know. Like, I feel like the cheese is really fast and I'm, I'm programmed not to worry about bacteria. I don't know. Just something is like when I was a kid, I started eating stuff off the floor and I, and I never got sick from it. And I just never, it's not like I'm picking up old chewing gum and having to chew. But um, I don't know if I dropped, but I mean, the bus station bathroom is definitely a, a, a pretty bizarre multiplier.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a biggie. When I worked in a kitchen when I was in high school and I had cleaned and mopped the floor and this guy wanted me to, like, do this acid wash. The cook guy wanted me to do an acid cleanse or something. And I'm like, dude, I just I just cleaned all of this yesterday. It's fine. And he's like, if you eat an egg off the floor, I will. You don't have to do it. And I was like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, okay and he fried up an egg threw it on the floor grabbed it ate it easy money you know so yeah i mean i have eaten some pretty gross shit but i i think the uh, uh okay i will i will conclude this with saying if there was <laughs> a hot pube bird shit hot dog water i would eat the piece of cheese but if it's just hot dog water with pubes i drink the pubes oh, yeah wow. so
0: i feel like visible pubes changes the calculus for me well
1: that's what i'm going with and we are we're all at right. an hour so make your make your final confession and let's wrap this shit up i'm gonna up. eat the cheese i'm gonna eat the cheese okay <laughs> all right well there you have it we have uh <laughs> we've, we've really done the lord's, How I, lord's work today
0: i feel like i lose the pot like this is the feeling i have at the end of the podcast <laughs> very regularly that i've lost
1: <laughs> within reality anyone who's listened Has lost. Has lost. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening to Revolting. If you have questions for us or topics you would like us to pontificate on, please email me, Stevele, at Stevele at Cycling Independent or Robot at Cycling Independent. If you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent, please share it with a friend. It's the only way to keep this party going. And... As always, thank you, Robot. Thank you for everybody tuning in. I'm Steve.
0: And i Robot.
1: Don't forget to breathe.